Disclaimer. This episode of Mind the Ear contains information about child abuse. If this is triggering to you, I would encourage you to be forewarned and perhaps not listen to this episode. Also, I would encourage you to listen to the previous episode to understand the context for this subject. Can you keep a secret? If someone tells you something in confidence, can they trust that you will keep that confidence? Now, there are individuals in our society that we truly hope will keep our confidence. For example, doctors, psychiatrists, lawyers, and even pastors. But I would like you to imagine that, God forbid, your child or the child of someone you know is being sexually abused. And when you discover this, you also discover that your minister knew about this all along and did nothing about it. Well, the reality is that is happening quite frequently throughout the United States. There are laws in 33 states which exempt clergy of all denominations from the requirement to report child abuse. But it's conditioned on one thing. If they learn about that abuse in a confessional setting, it's called clergy penitent privilege. Clergy in these 33 states are mandatory reporters, except if they find out that information during a confession or even some type of spiritual counseling. Now, here in Arizona, Title 12, Chapter 13, Article 4 in our Arizona laws, the heading is Privilege Communication, and then underneath that, a subheading, Clergy or Priest and Penitent. And this is what the law says, and I'm quoting, In a civil action, which includes any matter or proceeding in a court, either civil or criminal, a clergyman or priest shall not, without the consent of the person making a confession, be examined as to any confession made to him in his character as clergyman or priest in the course of discipline enjoyed by the church to which that person belongs." What is that saying? How do we break that down? Well, first of all, confession. If it's in the form of a confession. But the question there is, what is a confession? Is a confession a formal setting, as you would see within the Roman Catholic Church? Or if you move into the Protestant realm, there isn't the formal confession that you find in Roman Catholicism. So what is considered the confession? The other thing that I find interesting about this law that leaves all sorts of questions surrounding it is the word clergyman or priest. Who gets to define what that is? What criteria is used to determine if a person is a clergyman or a priest? Well, a lot of people would say it's dependent upon the denomination that recognizes their clergy. But what if the denomination 
in one particular setting has really high standards and requirements to become a clergy person, where other denominations, it's basically pretty simple. And you don't even have to have any formal training to be entitled or considered a minister, a pastor. These are the questions that arise and leave this subject of reporting sexual or child abuse of some form, it leaves it mucky. It leaves it messed up. Because as here in Arizona, there's a privilege granted, but it's limited to pastoral communications. But again, what the setting is, who's clergy, what a confession is, what that conversation is, all of that has to be taken in consideration. Now, there are states of these 33 who have tried to pose laws to close these loopholes. But here's what's interesting to me. They are facing opposition. Just here in Arizona, there was a bill that never made it out of committee because it didn't have enough support. But the opposition is coming from a place that, for me, is shocking. It's coming from religious organizations. Religious organizations. And in particular, articles, news articles, report that it is coming from Roman Catholics, LDS, Latter-day Saints, and the Jehovah Witness. There's been interviews done of lawmakers in these 33 states, and they describe an intense opposition from these powerful religious organizations, and many of them find it too difficult to overcome them. For example, in California, State Senator Jerry Hill, who is now no longer functioning in that capacity, back in 2019, he introduced a bill. What's interesting, though, is that it was killed only after opposition from Catholic and Mormon churches, as well as other religious groups, opposed it. Hill says the following, The opposition of the Catholic Church was instrumental in creating a lot of controversy around the bill and a lot of questions related to religious freedom. But this isn't limited to California. It's happened in Arizona when they went to close that loophole, as I just mentioned. And again, the, the individual who promoted the bill points out that there were religious lawmakers, and in particular, Mormon lawmakers, who opposed this bill. In Utah, the Roman Catholic Church, the archdiocese up there, sent out a letter to all of its members of the Catholic Church in that diocese asking them to oppose a law that would have closed those loopholes. So why? Why are clergy and religious organizations so set on opposing these laws? We'll find out right after this break. So why? 
Why are religious organizations opposing laws that would close this loophole? Why is it that religious organizations do not believe that ministers, just like other people who are mandatory reporter, um, mandatory reporters, why? Why are these individuals so opposed to closing this loophole? Well, some would say that this privilege between the pastor and the confessee, some would say that by abolish, ab- abolishing that privilege, it will not make children safer. And in fact, it even goes further and says that the ability of abusers to report privately to clergy encourages them to confess and often leads to stopping the abuse. Here's the thinking behind that. If there is not a clergy penitent privilege, the argument says that individuals who are abusing a child or committing a crime, they will not be as likely to confess that. They're not willing to go to a minister and confess what they've done wrong. What's the big deal? Well, it's twofold. By confessing, these religious organizations would say, number one, they would argue that by doing this, by confessing, that brings about their own salvation. And number two, they believe that by confessing, it will make them take responsibility for their actions and make restoration, and in many cases, report and confess them and turn themselves in to authorities. That's the thinking behind it. But does it work? Does it, does it actually happen? Previous episode, we realized it didn't happen. A minute, an individual confessed to his pastor, and what happened? Nothing. Never reported. And because it wasn't reported, this individual continued to abuse his two children. So that argument, to me, does not hold water. And uh, going along with that is another individual who supports this privilege, and he says the following. Here's why he says they oppose it. His name is Representative Nelson from the state of Utah. He says the following. It's considered essential to the exercise of religion to have a priest penitent privilege that will allow people to approach their clergy for the purpose of unburdening themselves, their mind, their soul, to seek peace and consolation with God as well as with their fellow human beings. Without that assurance of secrecy, Troubled people will not confide in their clergy. That seems to be the primary argument for not closing this loophole, not requiring clergy to be mandatory reporters no matter what, no matter how they find out that information. So that's where we're at. And in fact, here in Arizona, the case where three children of this perpetrator that the court cases talked about, three of them have sued. The Supreme Court here in Arizona has stated that 
they do not have to disclose that information. The church does not have to disclose it. So the loophole remains open, at least here in Arizona and many, many other states. So here are my questions. Here are my questions that give you an insight into my thoughts around this whole discussion of clergy penitent privilege. I'm going to share that with you right after this. Number one, should children suffer because of the religious beliefs of other individuals? This whole idea of confession, of going to a minister and confessing one's sins and getting forgiveness, that idea is grounded in a particular view. Hear that again. It's grounded in a particular view of God, humanity, sin, and salvation. All of that, all of these arguments is grounded in a particular view. There are Christians who don't see confession in the same way. They don't see and understand God in the same way. They do not see sin in the same way, and they do not see salvation in the same way. But yet, these religious organizations, these religious denominations are taking their particular beliefs, and they are imposing them upon the rest of the citizens of their state. And they're protecting the confessor, but yet the victim is suffering because of these particular religious beliefs. So my question is, should children suffer because of the religious beliefs of other individuals? Number two, is the church's priority to protect itself, its clergy, the abused child, or the abuser? You see, in many cases, interests here will not be all aligned. One of the thoughts that entered my mind was this idea that if something is confessed to a minister, they do not have to report it. Well, think about that within the Roman Catholic Church. You have a priest, perhaps, who has abused a child. That priest goes to another priest and makes confession. That priest, according to these laws, is not supposed to disclose that information, does not have to disclose that information. And immediately you begin to wonder, if it is not disclosed to authorities, who is the church protecting? Is it protecting itself? Is it protecting its priests? Is it 
can you even make an argument that it's protecting the abused child? And can you even make an argument that it's protecting the abuser, the, the perpetrator? I mean, I have known child molesters. And in speaking with them, this compulsion that they have is one that they continually fight. And some of them, when they are caught, they actually have a sense of peace. One in particular I was talking to, this individual said to me, once they were arrested and placed into prison, they said, I'm where I belong. Almost a sense of peace came over them. So my question again is, what is the church's priority when it comes to protecting? Is its priority protecting itself from any type of civil or legal litigation against them? Is its priority to protect its clergy? Or is its priority to protect the abused child or the abuser, him or herself? Question number three, what does the church do to help children who have been abused? How does it center upon those individuals' interests? Again, what does the church do to help children who have been abused? If their focus is upon helping the perpetrator and restoring them, what about the child, especially if the child continues to be abused. And if the church isn't going to say anything about it, if the clergy person isn't going to say anything about it, how will anyone do anything to help the child? Question number four. Does the church believe that the clergy penitent privilege encourages confession? And if so, does it have any empirical evidence? The whole point of this question, this argument that is being used by religious organizations to fight and to, to not close this loophole, their whole argument is based upon that if they didn't have this kind of confidence between the minister and the confessee, if they didn't have that kind of open confidence, that individuals would not confess those sins. How do they know that? Is there any empirical evidence, or is this just an argument that they're making in order to maintain a practice that has been going on for hundreds of years? Where's the evidence? How do we justify it? Perhaps, as I pointed out just earlier, perhaps an individual will unburden themselves, make that confession, because they want a sense of peace. They want to escape from this compulsion. They want to be stopped. Now, again, I, I'm not saying all child molesters or abusers are that way, but I would dare say that there are, are quite a few who understand what they're doing is not correct. It is wrong, but it's this compulsion that they can't control. And so to find help to actually get caught might be to their benefit. So just this whole argument that if you didn't have this privilege, that the sacrosanct between the confessee and the minister is, is supposed to be preserved, this whole idea that if you don't preserve that, people won't confess, 
If that's true, where's the evidence to support it? And last of all, number, question number five. Whatever a state's law says, does any church, does any religious organization think that invoking the clergy penitent privilege is good for the church itself and the citizens of that state? Can, can a religious organization, can a church really believe that it is for the best good of itself and its state by continuing to fight laws that would close this loophole. I would dare say that as more individuals find out about this, and God forbid if they have to experience this, I think they're going to be ticked off at the church. I don't think they're going to be happy. And we all know that churches have done enough to hurt their reputation and the reputation of Christianity in general. I think we know that that's happened. And I think the church ought to be focusing upon restoring its reputation, restoring its character. And maybe by ministers not fighting or religious organizations and churches not fighting closing these loopholes, getting rid of this privilege, maybe by doing that, they will take and make a big step in enhancing their view in the lives of their community. So here's my position. As a minister, if anyone was to enter my office, call me on the phone, talk to me over coffee, and share with me that they were abusing a child, that they had committed a crime. I would report it, no doubt in my mind. I would report it. Even if they said they wanted this privilege, it's ultimately it's up to the minister to decide. This minister, I'm reporting. Why? to protect the child. The child the child is innocent. The child is vulnerable. The child needs someone to watch over it. And I can't help but think about how the writers of the gospel portrayed Jesus. In particular, how they portrayed Jesus in his relationship with children. When you read the Gospels, you'll find over and over, it appears to me, that Jesus valued children. Jesus said, the, children, the kingdom of God belongs to children. He took a child, set it in their midst, and said, unless we come, one becomes like a little child. He tells another individual that if you hurt a child, if you violate a child, it's better off if you had basically killed yourself first. To me, when I read the Gospels, Jesus is portrayed as an individual who valued children and protected them. Now, that last part might be a stretch, but I think you can see it. Because what you value, you're going to protect. So my 
plea to you today is to become aware and to ask yourself, what is the policy of the particular denomination or the religious organization? What is their particular policy when it comes to reporting what, for their ministers? Are their ministers required to report? And if they fall under this privilege, how comfortable are you with that? Is that something that you're okay with? And I'm going to go back and ask you that same question that we started off this episode with. Imagine that your child or a child that you know is being sexually abused, and you find out about it. And you also find out that your minister or a minister knew about it and remained silent. And the abuse continued. Can you live with that? I can't. Thank you for taking the time and listening to Mind the Ear with Tony Manier. I greatly appreciate your time. And I, especially for those of you who contact us, thank you. Thank you for sharing your insights. If there is a subject matter that you would like to hear us address, please email me at media at beatitudeschurch.org. Also, do me a favor. If you enjoy this podcast, you enjoyed listening to it, please subscribe to either YouTube, our channel, or share this, follow us on Facebook. That goes a long way in promoting so that other individuals can also hear this. So no matter what you're doing today, enjoy your day and stay safe out there. Take care.